tonight, solving the mystery behind the Senate shootout. What we're learning from people who knew the young gunman. Plus, a moving tribute to a cyclist killed in a Vancouver bike lane and the challenge to prevent more tragedies. And I'm sure that this is just going to make everybody a better rescue organization. Reaction to new rules intended to prevent the spread of dog rabies in Canada. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news and a shooting at the Williams Lake Stampede Grounds. First responders were called to the Stampede Grounds at about 3.30 this afternoon. Police say two people were rushed to hospital and one person was taken into custody. Although early in the investigation, police believe it was a targeted attack and no further risk remains to the public. Hundreds of people were in attendance, marking the return of the annual Stampede following the two-year pandemic pause. Please leave in an orderly fashion. In video posted to social media, the rodeo announcer tells the crowd to safely evacuate and to remain calm. Many people in the crowd appeared confused by the announcement. Again, two people taken to hospital following a shooting at the Williams Lake Stampede grounds this afternoon. The local cycling community came out in force in downtown Vancouver today to remember a UBC PhD student from Mexico killed in a horrifying accident last Wednesday. As Paul Johnson reports, the tragedy is highlighting calls for safer ways for trucks and bikes to coexist. And a warning, some of you may find the video of the accident disturbing. Heading out for a cruise around Stanley Park, it was the kind of thing that Augustine Beltran loved to do in Vancouver. That and the economics program at UBC where there were high hopes for him. Well, it's a terrible tragedy and disaster. Uh, this was a really great guy. I knew him a tiny bit. Uh, I had just hired him as a research assistant. I had on Zoom seen some really great work he had put together on data analysis. He was clever, he was creative, he was hardworking. And well-loved in many places. Here was the scene in Mexico City where people gathered to remember. Beltran was killed Wednesday morning when he collided with a turning dump truck at Pacific and Hornby in downtown Vancouver. He was riding well within the marked cycling lane there. And it's still unclear how this happened, though the driver is cooperating with investigators. It's just hit home for me because, like I said, I, I literally ride that, that, go through that intersection every day. While Sunday's ride was a memorial and not a protest, the unresolved issues of safety in Vancouver's evolving relationship with cyclists weren't far below the surface. Our environment and our cities are very much designed just to prioritize driver convenience above all else. And that needs to change or we're going to keep seeing tragedies like this time and time again. The tragic irony here, though, is that Beltran died at an intersection that had all of the safety features that cycling advocates had been calling for. So if this couldn't keep him safe, what can? Some cyclists told us part of the answer is for riders to slow down and even walk their bikes in places like these. Others say big trucks should install side guards. Expect more ideas in the coming months in the hope that Beltran's example is one that can at least save others. 
in Vancouver. Paul Johnson, Global News. Two people have been taken to hospital after a vehicle rollover on the Coquihalla Highway. BCEHS says it received a call just after 1 o'clock this afternoon about a single vehicle on Highway 5 near the Zop kiosk brake check. Two ambulances responded and rushed the patients to hospital in stable condition. Drive BC is warning drivers about delays of up to two hours between Merritt and Hope. Triage plans have been in effect to help deal with the massive backlog for those applying for or renewing their passports. So, our Kamu Karamali went to see if they're making any kind of a dent in the lineups. A wet Sunday afternoon, not enough to stop these hopeful travelers doused in worry from lining up outside this downtown Vancouver Service Canada location. It'll be hours before this passport office opens Monday morning. I think this is unacceptable. This is not something that should be happening. But sleeping here in the cold overnight is the only way Allie Brown was told she can get her son's passport renewed after months of waiting. I spent 13 hours on the phone, dialing and redialing until I finally got through. And when I got through, they told me that they haven't even started. It's been nearly a week since Service Canada said it began new triaging measures to try and ease major backlogs at passport offices. People who have travel plans in 24 to 48 hours will get priority, followed by those who travel in 3 to 14 days. Those waiting in line say they're hoping to see a more streamlined process in the morning, but so far they haven't gotten any answers. If they're actually trying to get stuff done, they'd answer the phones for once and actually give people real times or an actual estimate. And while those who have immediate travel plans may get priority, others who haven't booked their tickets yet feel like they're being thrown to the back of the line. It still hasn't been processed. It's now five and a half months later, Heather Dobbs has been trying to get her son's passport renewed for months, and they don't want to book their flights until they get some answers. I feel that we are being put off for other people or that they just don't care. The union representing passport officers says the triage measures have created a more organized and streamlined process at Service Canada locations, but it may be a while until it reduces wait times across the country. Now the triaging should have been uniform and starting at all offices at the same time as compared to just two or three of the major metropolitan centres used as this mini pilot, if you will. Triaging measures will also begin in Calgary and Edmonton on Monday. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Investigators in Edmonton believe a suspect in a cross-border child luring case and his alleged victim may have spent time in B.C. A major search was launched after a 13-year-old Edmonton girl went missing June 24th. She was found safe in Oregon early yesterday morning. Edmonton police say a 41-year-old man believed to be from that state is in custody and faces child luring charges. A number of charges are also pending in the United States. It's believed the two came in contact online. Investigators say the suspect was in Mission, B.C. for three or four days and are asking RCMP here to speak with anyone who may have seen either of them. It's not clear yet how they crossed the border. We would be speculating to say uh, that they crossed together, um, but uh, I do know that they were located together again uh, in the U.S. once uh, once they gained entry. This is a happy ending to uh, 
an investigation that was exhaustive and intensive. Uh, the, uh, a very uh, heavy uh, week for family and friends. Police say the teen is at a children's hospital in Oregon for precautionary examination. Her family was notified Saturday morning and is making plans to bring her home. Coquitlam RCMP are asking for your help to locate a 35-year-old woman wanted on a Mental Health Act warrant. Alicia Strongarm was last seen on 10 o'clock on the morning of June 17th. She is known to frequent downtown Vancouver. Strongarm is 5 foot 6 inches tall, 160 pounds, and has brown hair. She was last seen wearing a grey coat, navy blue t-shirt, and black sweatpants. Police are concerned for her well-being and say she may behave in a way that poses a risk to herself or to the public. If you see Strongarm, do not approach her, but instead call 911 immediately. Burnaby RCMP want your help locating a 34-year-old man last seen on Friday. Yang Wong was last seen at 7 o'clock near Howard Avenue and Parker Street. Police say it's unusual for him to be away this long and his family is concerned for his well-being. He speaks English and Mandarin and is known to frequent libraries. He is 5 foot 8, weighs about 180 pounds and wears glasses. And he may seem confused. If you see him, please stay with him until police arrive. They're rescued from horrific conditions to live better lives here. The new rules will now prevent dog rescues in some countries due to rabies fears. Hear what one animal rescue operator says about it next. And pets versus vets. How too many of one and not enough of the other has forced a BC city into a bad situation. Next. We're learning more tonight about the Vancouver Island twin brothers killed earlier this week in what police say was an attempted armed bank robbery in Saanich that ended with a shootout. Kristen Robinson has more, including the similarities between this tragedy and an epic gun battle in Los Angeles 25 years ago. Global News has learned at least one of the twin brothers, Isaac, used to work at Canadian Tire in Duncan where he and Matthew Octorloni's apparent love for guns was a shock to some who grew up with them. Former classmates say Isaac and Matthew attended Francis Kelsey Secondary in Mill Bay. A friend who lost touch with them in recent years says, I knew them back in high school as super nice guys that mostly just hung out with each other, but did have a good group of friends. Police say the 22-year-old brothers were behind Tuesday's botched bank robbery in Saanich. Two heavily armed suspects entered the BMO. When they left, a shootout erupted. Dozens of rounds were fired. Isaac and Matthew Octorloni were killed and six police officers wounded. It was shocking. Retired Saanich police officer Chris Horsley noted the similarities between this incident and the 1997 North Hollywood shootout. Which coincidentally was the subject of a 2021 post on a now deleted Instagram account in Isaac Octorloni's name. That's the first thing I thought of when I heard about how they were dressed. It truly is the worst case scenario because um, those suspects, 
you know, appear to have, have gone and prepared for an armed encounter. Got the sidewalk and he's just firing. More than a quarter century ago, two bank robbers wearing body armor and wielding assault rifles attempted a heist at the Bank of America in North Hollywood before engaging in a lengthy gunfight with police, most of whom were armed only with handguns. It was in one of the biggest cities of America, yet they were able to hold off the LAPD for about 45 minutes. The suspects were killed and 18 people, including 11 officers, were wounded. In the gun battle, Horsley says changed policing in North America. It's the norm now for police agencies to carry some form of long gun or rifle in their vehicles. Saanich police found and safely disposed of an explosive device found in the suspect's car, a white Toyota Camry with black racing stripes. The Octorloni brothers appear to support the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. Its CEO says the CCFR is a law and order organization and just as shocked as everyone else. It's terrible. We have no idea why young men would be so desperate to do something as horrific as that. Kristen Robinson, Global News. It's also been a tough week for the Central Saanich Police Service. The force announced the loss of Constable Richie Lee, who died Monday after a courageous battle with cancer. In April of 2021, Lee learned he had inoperable pancreatic cancer. Central Saanich Police say he embarked on a series of recommended treatments to prolong his life, which allowed him to spend extra time with his son, who was born in January. And the force says Lee's intelligence, positivity and strong character earned respect from all who knew him. For years, countless dogs have been rescued overseas, finding new homes in Canada, thanks to a number of rescue organizations. But Canada will soon ban the import of dogs from some countries in an attempt to protect humans and our domestic canine population from dog rabies. Grace Key reports. Mission Possible saw almost 300 dogs and cats from Afghanistan arrive in Vancouver earlier this month. But these type of missions could be coming to a halt. Commercial dogs from countries at high risk for dog rabies will no longer be able to enter Canada. It's got to be regulated. It really does. And where it was easier 13 years ago, because there weren't so many organizations, it's now become probably clearly more difficult to monitor. Thank Dog I Am Out Rescue Society assisted with the mission. Its founder says many animals will suffer, but she understands the decision. And if everybody does maybe a better job or understands the importation a bit better, then I'm sure that this is just going to make everybody a better rescue organization. And that's really super important to protect the Canadian people and the Canadian dogs is to be sure that the animals you're bringing in are safe. Not all rescue societies agree, arguing for regulations rather than a blanket ban. you got to realize that this is something that already exists here in our foxes and our bats and our rats and raccoons and cats and horses. All sorts of animals can already get this. So are you really preventing anything um, from stopping these animals from coming in as far as the rabies aspect? I don't think so at all. Um, but I think that more thorough documentation, more thorough vetting um, being needed for these animals to enter the country. 100% agree with that. Yes, I do, especially when it comes to the control of, of diseases. Currently, Canada doesn't have any active cases of dog rabies, but last year, dogs were imported into the country with the disease. One of the dogs did not show clinical symptoms of rabies for six months from the time of importation, which to me is scary. 
because obviously both these dogs entered um, presumably with rabies vaccines. And I do say presumably because not always it's true. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency added 100 countries to the ban. Dog rabies kills 59,000 people every year globally. The measure takes effect September 28th on World Rabies Day. Grace Key, Global News. A persistent veterinarian shortage has led to a cut in after-hours emergency pet care in the Prince George area. As of July 1st, emergency services for pets is now only being provided until 10 o'clock on weeknights and on weekends from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Outside those hours, pet owners will only have an online service for care or else have to drive to Kelowna, Vancouver or Edmonton for in-person emergency service. The Prince George After Hours Urgent Care Group has been working for years to find a workable solution to the problem, but without success. They are with their backs against the wall. Um, nobody can work 24-7. Um, you know, they're, they're facing burnout. Uh, you know, you, you can't be on call uh, at night and then, you know, get very little sleep, work the next day and then do the same thing the next night. Dr. Venus adds there are plenty of applicants wanting to become vets in B.C. The challenge remains finding places to educate them. Local clinics say there are currently 16 vets in Prince George, and that's not keeping up with the number of pets in the region. There continues to be a need for blood in our province, and today Islamic Relief Canada held a blood drive to boost donations. Canadian Blood Services says donations from ethnic minorities, which may include different blood types, are in short supply. And finding matches for patients who require stem cell transplants is difficult given only 33% of those on the stem cell registry are of an ethnic background. In Surrey, organizers of the blood drive are hoping to encourage more people to give the gift of life and sign up to be a stem cell donor. There is a need uh, for blood, you know, within the South Asian community. You know, the Sikh community, you know, does their blood drive, you know, yearly, and they, you know, they obviously come and uh, do it to the, with the Canadian Blood Services as well. So we just want to have the Muslim community come out and do our part and do what we can. Simon Fraser University students could soon be riding up a sky bus up to the Burnaby campus. In 2018, TransLink applied to trademark the name Sky Bus for its proposed gondola up Burnaby Mountain. The trademark was successfully granted in 2020 and is valid until 2030. TransLink hasn't confirmed whether that will be the official name or if it's just being considered. Well, still to come, a B.C. high school reunion for some very senior teachers at a brand new school. But first. Three people are killed in a mall shooting in Denmark. Was it domestic terrorism? And. We wanted to make sure that we find the right people who will be OK with us. We meet two Ukrainian refugees to Canada who felt they had a few extra hurdles to overcome. We'll explain next. Police say three people have been killed and three others are in critical condition following a shooting at a shopping mall in Denmark. Police responded to a mall in Copenhagen where they say a gunman opened fire at around dinner time. They arrested a 22-year-old Danish man and aren't ruling out terrorism as a motive. The shooting caused a stampede among panicked shoppers. Some were injured as they tried to flee. Dear everybody, the police has decided to cancel due to safety reasons. Please know that everybody is safe inside the building, but sadly we have to cancel the show. As you just heard, a Harry Styles concert was cancelled following the shooting. 
Russia is claiming victory in Ukraine's eastern Luhansk region after capturing the final holdout of Lysychansk, a city key to Russia's control of the Donbass. Russia's advances would now shift to battlefield focus to neighboring Donetsk, where, as David Aiken reports, Ukraine still holds substantial territory. It was perhaps inevitable. The sheer number of Russian tanks, artillery and troops attacking the eastern Ukraine city of Lysychansk eventually overwhelmed the Ukrainian armed forces trying to defend the city. It was a battle that lasted for weeks, but by early Sunday morning, Defense Minister for Russia Sergei Shoigu informed Vladimir Putin that Lysychansk had been taken. This photo from social media appears to show Russian troops, including soldiers of a Chechen regiment, waving Russian and Chechen flags in front of a destroyed building in Lysychansk. These photos, provided by Ukrainian military, also show the damage and destruction caused by the fight. Analysts from the U.S.-based Institute for the Study of War said in a briefing note they believe Ukrainian forces withdrew from Lysychansk in order to avoid becoming encircled. Ukraine, in the meantime, appears to have taken the fight to Russian territory. Russian authorities say at least three died in a missile strike on the Russian city of Belgorod, just across the border from the Ukrainian city of Kharkiv. Russia blamed Ukraine for the Belgorod strike and claimed there were no military targets there. Ukrainian authorities did release videos like this one, which they say shows the destruction of Russian tanks, a symbol of the heavy price Russia is paying for every bit of territory it seizes in Ukraine. David Aiken, Global News. Nearly 150,000 applications have now been approved for people fleeing Ukraine to come to Canada. A difficult decision for some and harder for others who worry about finding a host because a family, host family because of their sexual orientation. Carolyn Curry de Castillo has more on how one Ukrainian couple and their dog found the perfect fit when they landed in Calgary. When the war started in Ukraine, Yevgenia Vasilkova and Kristina Hulyanich made a difficult decision to leave their families. At first, we just were, you know, running from the fear. Their choice to come to Canada was about safety, economics and acceptance. And a lot of people lost their jobs, so that was one of the bigger things. And also we wanted to find a um, LGBTQ-friendly country. The couple was careful about looking for a host family. They contacted an LGBTQ organization that approached a settlement center. We were worried that not everybody will be happy to host us as a couple. So we wanted to make sure that we find the right people who will be okay with us being together. A couple with a dog. And the dog. <laughs> the settlement center got a hold of Hillhurst United Church in Calgary, well known for its values of inclusivity. Uh, it was quite quite a concern, a lesbian family that came over uh, and a dog. And uh, it's it's really difficult sometimes. You have people that are on different pages with with uh, what they think is a family. Longtime church members Lynn and Angelo Dalson picked up their new Ukrainian guests at the Calgary airport on the May long weekend. It's the experience of our lifetime to meet these girls and we're so grateful for that experience. At in Ukraine, gay couples can't marry or adopt children. Russia formally banned same-sex marriage two years ago. I think Canada is one of the most progressive countries in the world regarding and LGBTQ rights, and uh, Ukraine isn't the most progressive country. Carolyn Curry, De Castillo, Global News. Good for them.
Yvonne tells us when the sunshine will return to the South Coast anyway, plus. Some guys are here from 1961, they're um, over 90 years old. Back to the future, the North Shore High School reunion that mixes the old with the new. We'll explain next. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. At least six hikers are dead after a glacier collapsed on a popular mountain trail in the Italian Alps. It happened high on the Marmolata, a mountain towering more than 3,000 meters, the tallest in the eastern Dolomites. The large chunk of glacier broke off, sliding down the mountainside, sending ice, snow and rock into the path of the climbers on the popular trail near the mountain's peak. Rescuers are checking license plates in the parking lot to try to determine how many people may not be have been accounted for. Here in B.C., a severe thunderstorm watch has been issued for parts of the southern interior, prompting a high stream flow advisory throughout the region. Jaden Wozni reports. The public has been advised to stay clear of any fast-flowing rivers or potentially unstable riverbanks during the high stream flow advisory. The advisory includes the Okanagan, Mission Creek, the Similkameen River, the Kettle and Granby Rivers, the West and East Kootenai Watersheds, Slocan River, and Duhamel Creek. A high stream flow advisory means that the river levels are rising or expected to rise quickly, but no major flooding is expected, although minor flooding in low-lying areas is a possibility. This high stream flow advisory comes just after the Okanagan experienced a stretch of warm weather, which means snow at higher elevations is melting faster, and more rain is also expected in the region by Monday. Some areas could receive between 15 to 25 millimeters of rain over the next few days. The BC River Forecast Centre says it will continue to monitor the conditions and provide updates throughout the situation. Jaden Wozni, Global News, West Kelowna. It's that rain in the forecast that has prompted yet another evacuation alert for the Sycamus Creek Mobile Home Park, the fourth in the past two months. The threat of a landslide near Weissman Creek has been looming since early May. A wildfire last summer left the ground unstable near the watershed, which could lead to a debris flow if the creek becomes too full. A reunion of old teachers at a brand new North Shore High School. That story right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, yeah, the, the weather's not, it's just not nice today. No, what a, nice. what a difference the day makes, right? Yes. So from the sunshine, warm Friday, Saturday, things ramped up. And then we're saying today summer's on pause. It just right. took a little bit of a break. Okay. It's on pause. I like that. Uh, things are actually going to rebound in the long range, and I'll show you what that means. But we are still uh, tackling uh, some wet weather, especially as we get in towards this evening, and lots of instability for the interior. And I'll have more on the severe thunderstorm watch in just a moment. We're currently sitting at 13 degrees. It's cool out there. We've got a southeasterly wind at 20 kilometers per hour. A look at some of the highs today. So a drop between 5, 10, even a few spots even cooler in comparison to yesterday. Lytton today just getting up to 22. Trail up to 24 degrees. Kelowna today 19 and out of Metro Vancouver. We just got up to 16 degrees. The average for this time of the year sits at 21. Boundary, shoe swap into towards the Okanagan. That's where we've got the severe thunderstorm watch and we can see that on the current satellite and radar. We've got that line of storms that are storms rather that are still working its way through the region and the big 
concern with these. We could see the potential for gusty winds as well as hail, but it's the rain, additional rainfall amounts for the flood concerns across the province. And we're going to continue to track that in towards tomorrow. So it's the heavy rain that's a big concern with these thunderstorms across the region. Most areas across Metro Vancouver, we've actually got a bit of a lull in the action, but it is going to pick up with still some showers overnight and taking us in towards the morning hours. A heavier pocket of rain right now along the southern regions of the island and we'll continue to see rainfall along the Sunshine Coast through the early morning hours. It's actually all courtesy of a system that's just stateside and that'll bring in the instability once again for tomorrow. I've put the future cast into play so by the morning hours we can still see that band of rain right along the Sunshine Coast, the northern and central regions of the island but it's the afternoon that I'm concerned once again for the interior. We're looking at that risk of thunderstorms. That'll be a big concern so we'll watch that once again through the afternoon and early evening and that extends into the southeastern corners of the province. This model showing us potentially upwards of 20 millimeters. I'm anticipating between 5 and up to 15 millimeters, but near those thunderstorms is where we could see some higher amounts. So once again tomorrow, rainfall will be for the southern half, and we've got a high stream flow advisory that's now been included in the Okanagan, the Kootenai, and the Quinell River still underneath the flood warning where it will exceed bankful. Lots of instability tomorrow. Temperatures inland up to 26 near Terrace. We'll see that risk of thunderstorms extending all the way in towards the southern half, the southeastern corners of the province. Another cool one for tomorrow. The rainfall mostly along the northern and central regions of the island. Metro Vancouver, it'll be showers in the morning, and then a, a lighter chance or tapering off as we get in towards the evening evening hours. We'll look for it to rebound. That'll be for Tuesday, one of the nicest out of the bunch as it dries up with highs up to 22. Colleen? All right. Long as there's some sunshine. Thanks yeah. so much, Yvonne. It may sound a little confusing, but there was a reunion this week for former teachers at one of BC's newest secondary schools. Bagpipes welcomed retired teachers to the new Hansworth Secondary in North Vancouver. Students moved into the new building this winter, but it's the first time the people who worked in the old building have had a chance to take a tour of the new and improved facility. A few of the retirees in attendance can trace back six decades to the original building's opening in the early 1960s. I like the school. It's, um, there's a lot of light. It's important to see these wonderful people that taught at one of the best schools in the province. This was academically um, and in terms of uh, athletics, this was one of the best schools in the place. Isn't that wonderful? Looks like they had a little reunion photo there, too. They the did. class photo, right? And I like that. That was nice. Yeah. Nice touch. Oh, the stories, I bet, would, would be wonderful for all those folks to be catching up. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, catch us up on what you're uh, going to be doing on Sports Bear. Well, we're going to look back at uh, the Whitecaps' biggest win of the season last night at BC Place. They beat LAFC, the top team in MLS, and will feature... Two true young superstars in hockey are from B.C., Connor Bedard and Kent Johnson. They train together, and they're getting ready for the World Juniors next month in Edmonton. Awesome. All right, looking forward to it. Thanks, Barry. Coming up next, want to be healthy? We ask the timeless question. Is it pointless to take vitamins? What the latest research says about our expensive vitamin habit. Next. Every year, millions of us buy vitamins and other supplements with the goal of improving our health. But do they really make a difference? Well, a new analysis of dozens of studies is giving us a clearer view of just what they mean for better health. For many of us, getting and staying healthy is usually top of mind. A typical go-to, vitamins. 
After all, Americans spent nearly $50 billion alone on supplements last year. But a new analysis published in the Journal of American Medical Association says for the average healthy adult, they may not be necessary. They reviewed 84 studies to assess the impact of vitamins and supplements in preventing heart disease and cancer. Dr. Michael Berry is vice chair of the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force. We don't have enough evidence to recommend for or against them with those two exceptions of vitamin E and beta carotene, which we uh, recommend people not take. According to the published analysis, beta carotene was associated with an increased risk of lung cancer and death from heart disease, while vitamin E had no proven effects. Dr. Jeffrey Linder wrote an op-ed about the study. Is it pointless to take vitamins? If there was a big benefit from multivitamins and supplements, we'd sort of know by now. But the vitamin industry, which spent nearly a billion dollars on marketing in 2021, refutes those statements. Always talk to your physician, but they're there to supplement the diet. They're not there to be the principal element of the diet. Doctors do say children and those with chronic illnesses can stand to benefit from vitamins, as well as those who are pregnant. But ultimately, the key to a healthy long life good old-fashioned diet and exercise. Megan Fitzgerald, NBC News. Barry has sports next and still to come. We cannot ignore the environmental impacts and the circumstances that we're in today. Replacing old technology with new and why so many are celebrating the change. Don't miss Squamish Dates Festival happening this summer. Celebrating 65 years, be there for world-class lager sports shows that attract competitors from around the world. This year also marks the return of favorites like the Parade, Wacky Bad Races, 8K Run, and more. Don't miss Brian Adams on his So Happy It Hurts tour at Prospera Place in Kelowna on November 11th and Rogers Arena in Vancouver on November 12th. Tickets on sale now. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you in part by Return It. Make sure to bring back your drink containers to a Return It Express. It's easy. There's no sorting and no lineups. Okay, Barry's here with sports, and I'm going to let you get right to it. Start with some soccer and those Whitecaps playing maybe one of the best teams in the MLS right now. Wow. Benny uh, Sartini said his team got off to such a bad start this season when they had just one win in their first eight games that fans must have thought that he must have been drunk while he was coaching. That's how bad they were. Well, since then, it's been quite a party for the Whitecaps. Six wins, two draws in their last 10 MLS games, including an impressive 1-0 win over league-leading LAFC last night that may have led to a celebration afterwards. Andres Kubas picked the perfect time to score his first MLS goal. The Whitecaps newly signed designated player bagging the only goal of the match as the Caps knocked off the best team in Major League Soccer 1-0. I think it's a team defensive performance. I think that, uh, again, it's not only in the last three games. Since we switch a little to become more, I always say, if, if we want to do like a synopsis, we have to be more comp- more organized and relentless. When we did, when when we became like this, I'm uh, playing a little more Italian, I would say. Uh, it's hard to break us. It has been hard to break the Whitecaps. Saturday's victory marked their fifth win at BC Place and third consecutive clean sheet. Vancouver continues to hover around the playoff bar and are playing their most consistent footy of the season. It gives us a lot of confidence. Uh, 
we don't need to hide ourselves. We know that they rest some players and uh, they're going to arrive again. I hope that we play again against them uh, in the playoff when they have uh, Vela, Chiellini, Bale, uh, uh, Palacios everywhere because uh, it means that because uh, they're going to win the they're going to win the the the, the stand. They're going to be number one. So if we play against them, at least we're in the second round. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think uh, the stats speak for themselves. We've been in really good form lately, and uh, we want to keep you know that momentum going that way. So it's really exciting. For that Baseball today, Rays and Blue Jays completing their five-game series at Rogers Center. They split the first floor. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. has had a productive weekend. Drives in George Springer with a base hit to left to tie the game at one. Vladdy, six hits, seven RBI in the series. But the Jays pitching, especially the bullpen, has really struggled the past couple of weeks. Harold Ramirez with a two-run homer off starter Ross Stripling, who's actually been pretty good this year. 4-1 Tampa. Trent Thornton came on in relief, gave up two homers, including this two-run blast to Randy Rosarena. Jays lose their third straight 7-3. They begin a series in Oakland tomorrow, and they're in Seattle to play the Mariners starting Thursday night. Formula One, British Grand Prix, Carlos Sainz Jr. starting from the pole position for today's race, but just seconds in, Mercedes George Russell bumps into Alfa Romeo's Joe Guan Yu. Joe Guan Yu's car gets flipped, skids at full speed, upside down, goes hard over the barrier, a horrifying crash. But technology of the cars is remarkable. Halo system protecting the driver's head. Guan Yu was taken away by ambulance to hospital. Amazingly, he's okay, no serious injuries. The race was red flagged for nearly an hour. When they got going, Carlos Sainz Jr. well ahead. Huge battle for second and third between Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez. Britain's Lewis Hamilton in there, and it's Hamilton who gives the hometown crowd a big buzz by taking the lead. All that happening with 10 laps to go. They'd exchange places in the end. Carlos Sainz takes the checkered flag, his first ever F1 win as he gets the win at Silverstone. Sergio Perez was second. Hamilton gets on the podium with a third place finish. Uh, Charles Leclerc was fourth. And Max Verstappen ended up in seventh place today in England. Wimbledon men's fourth round. Top seed Novak Djokovic taking on Tim Van Reithoven of the Netherlands. World ranked number 104. But in the second set, Van Reithoven going toe-to-toe with the six-time Wimbledon champ. Big ground stroke sets up this smash put away at the net. And the crowd was loving that. He breaks Djokovic and he won the second set 6-4. More tennis. An upset, perhaps? Uh, I don't think so. Djokovic jumped up uh, out to a five-love lead in the third set, took that third set 6-2, and then cruised in the fourth as well. Match point, Joker rips another big forehand winner, and Novak Djokovic on his way to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon, where he will meet Italy's Yannick Sinner. Final round of the John Deere Classic from Illinois, Ontario's Michael Giglick badly needing a high finish to help secure his tour card for next year. This will help. Knocks in the eagle putt at the 10th, moves into third place. But there's a reason that guys on the bubble struggle to get those top finishes. The pressure really gets to you, and Giglick muffs the chip shot here, made a double bogey, ended up tied for 10th, an okay finish for sure, but could have had a top three had he not faltered. Surrey's Adam Svensson finished tied 24th. It was J.T. Poston who led wire to wire in this tournament, birdied his first three holes today, and wasn't really in danger of losing the lead, and he will tap in.
18 for the three-shot victory. That gets him a spot in the Open Championship at St. Andrews in a couple of weeks. JT Poston wins the John Deere Classic. Canadian Elite Basketball League from Langley Event Centre. Fraser Valley Bandits taking on Niagara River Lions. Bandits led by many at 19 in this one. Alex Campbell knocks down the three, but Niagara River roar back. They are Lions. Khalil Ahmad, the league's leading scorer with the driving layup here. And they played the Elam ending, so a target score, first one to 102, and it was Niagara who got it after that free throw. Both teams are 8-4, and four, tied for second in the standings. World Women's Field Lacrosse Championships from Maryland. Canada taking on England tonight. Canada 1-1 one one through two games. Their best player is Dana Doby. She can really shoot. Shows that here. Slinging one to the top corner. 6-4 Canada at the half. Annabelle Child with a great goal here. Hangs on and then waits before finding the far side. Canada win 13-8. They are now 2-1. They meet Scotland tomorrow. Hey, we've got some... Amateur sport for you. Provincial Youth Soccer Championships. U13 girls, Kamloops in orange, Port Moody in red, and the star of the show, number 17, Gracie Blair from Kamloops. How about that looping shot over the keeper? Kamloops wins the U13 girls title 2-0 over Port Moody. So congrats to all the girls taking part. BC boys Connor Bedard and Kent Johnson will be part of Team Canada again this August at the World Juniors in Edmonton. If you'll remember, the tournament was halted last December after just a few days because of a big COVID outbreak. So they will try again this summer. North fans Bedard and Port Moody's Johnson have been busy training together, something they've been actually been doing for a few years now. They are two of the most talented young hockey players on the planet. And even though Kent Johnson is about three years older than Connor Bedard, these two have hung out and worked out together for a few years now. We've played roller together for a while, so uh, we've, we've grew pretty close. And, and it's uh, pretty cool for me to you know go to World Juniors with him and, and kind of build our relationship. And I mean, he's, he's such a special player and, and a really good guy to, to be around really cool relationship to have with him and yeah obviously skated with him like when I was younger and, and knew of him and kind of saw the potential and now to see like he's kind of living up to it all and obviously he's just getting started. All of that ice time together can't help but make each of them better. Both have world-class stick skills and can fire the puck with anyone in hockey despite still being teenagers. Of course one skill they also share, modesty. Yeah, I think his skill level is a lot higher than mine, and uh, he's got some of the best hands I've ever seen. So, I mean, if I'm practicing with him, I'm, I'm honestly just kind of watching him all the time and uh, trying to learn new things and, and asking him stuff. Bedard cruising in, hesitates, shoots, scores! Patrick goal, Connor Bedard! I think, uh, you know, that's something that I've, I've learned from him a bit, even like last summer, watching the way he shoots the puck and, and trying to do a bit like him. But, um, yeah, no, he can definitely shoot it. They'll try to win a World Junior Championship together this August in Edmonton after the tournament was postponed last December because of COVID. After that, Johnson will play his first full season in Columbus. He was the fifth overall pick in the 2021 draft. Bedard, of course, is the consensus number one pick in next year's draft. Conceivably, if the Jackets missed the playoffs and won the draft lottery, Johnson and Bedard would be teammates in the NHL. I mean, I think I think every team really wants him, so yeah, we'll see what happens. But yeah, it'd be unreal to get to play with him, and um, yeah, hopefully somewhere down the line. Yeah, maybe wow. the Canucks could start that tanking uh, strategy right now because Connor Bedard in a Canuck uniform would be pretty sweet. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> yeah, would be. It would be.
Thanks so much, Barry. Uh, Listen, you could call it a a high-tech way to celebrate in the sky. We'll explain next. It's at Canada Day, and Americans are getting set to celebrate July 4th. Well, fireworks often play a part in many of those celebrations, but like in Vancouver this year, rising costs and environmental concerns have some cities turning to tech to alter those traditions. They're the sights and sounds of the 4th of July. But this year, across America, towns are doing something different to celebrate the stars and stripes. Ditching fireworks for drones. Uh, I thought it was really cool. It's growing in popularity out west, where the fire danger is higher than ever. Each year, the number of wildfires spiked dramatically on the 4th. We cannot ignore the environmental impacts and the circumstances that we're in today. Here in the small town of Gypsum, Colorado, that's Mayor Stephen Carver's top concern. So this year, he's hosting the town's first ever drone show. I do think it will replace the fireworks. Why? Well, our community understands the fire danger here. And it's not just the fire concerns. Recent data shows costs are up 35% across the fireworks industry due to inflation and supply chain disruptions. It used to cost about eight to $10,000 to ship a container of fireworks. And today we're looking at thirty-five dollars to $40,000. Driving the demand for drones sky high. We've seen about a 70 to 80% increase in volume as far as calls and requests. For our drone shows. This year, drones taking center stage from sea to shining sea. Drone company UAV is completely booked this holiday weekend. For the show in Gypsum, they show us how they first calibrate 100 drones. Oh, 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 you beat me. Then they line them up. Each drone is pre-programmed and computer controlled. And where is this technology going? I think we're at the very beginning, so I can't imagine what's going to be like in five years. The sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. <laughs> and they say each show tells a story. So, what story are you telling tonight? Well, I just want the story of independence to be brought to us through the drones to our citizens of Gypsum. Tech lighting up America's skies on its 246th birthday. Aaron McLaughlin, NBC News, Gypsum, Colorado. Just a side note, animals don't like fireworks either. Mm-hmm. They don't. Not much, not much. Uh, Yvonne, last word on weather. We are going to still hang on to a few showers in the mix overnight and for a Monday. The bright spot will be on Tuesday. The concern will be for the interior. We're tracking the risk of thunderstorms once again for tomorrow afternoon and early evening. All righty. That is the news hour. Thanks for joining us. Krista is here at 11 o'clock. Hope you have a great night. Take care. it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.